Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Retro with you with Rob and Terry. I am Rob. This is Terry. And we are back with episode number 73, Terry. 73. That yes. is the all-time home run record set by Barry Bonds in 2001. And that carries with it, of course, an asterisk. Yes. I don't care. I, I used to hate Barry Bonds, but darn it, they didn't bust him. That's their own problem. And we've had this discussion a few times. Oh yeah, you didn't you didn't catch them? That's your fault. You didn't have stricter standards. That's right. So, so That's right. yeah, the, I I say no asterisk at all on him. Uh, unfortunately, with Roger Maris originally being the asterisk guy because they played eight more games in the season before he broke Ruth's record. I get that one, but you should have it kind of separate. But like, okay, Ruth had this much through this many games, so I get the. His asterisk makes sense, right? But not anymore because we've got Sosa McGuire, especially Sosa, busted it several times before Ruth would have gotten there. So, is there a way that they could figure? Because I know, like the NFL is going to have that problem now too. Because especially after expanding the season once again last year to seventeen games now, mm-hmm. and you know, originally the seasons were fourteen games long, then it went to sixteen. Now they're at seventeen. How do you account for that in the record book? I think you have to do per-game averages become the new stat to go for. That makes sense, definitely. You know, instead of instead of you know yards in a season, it's got to be yards per game. Yeah, because that yards in a season. season's going to get busted this year. Right. Most likely, be it like a, a Matthew Stafford or a Justin Herbert. You know, or someone Josh could, Allen or, or Josh Allen. Somebody like that, yeah, for sure. So I think it's the same boat. You know, those 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 records are made to fall. Anyway, but 73 is impressive whether or not you're on steroids or not. You Aaron, still got to put bat to ball. Aaron Judge is on his way for the Yankees, man. They yeah, he, 45 now, doesn't he? I think so, something like that. That He's not really on pace, but he's kind of on pace. Because well, at this point of the year, Bonds didn't have about just as many, but he went on an absolute tear to finish the season. Yeah. And so... I don't know. I don't think Do he gets it, but he'll get. He, I say he gets sixty, though. You think so? I think he gets sixty. Is he getting pitched around as much as Bonds was when he was playing? Because I remember nobody Bonds would walk three times a game. No, he, uh, Aaron Judge is still. He's not getting intentionally walked. It, okay. I don't think anybody's ever going to come close to Bonds' record for intentional walks. Yeah, that thing's got to be pretty untouchable. Yeah, because his average was sick. Aaron Judge's average ain't bad. He's around three hundred hitter. Along with the forty-five home runs, so okay, he's all but got that MVP locked down in the American League. Plus, he's eight and a half feet tall. Dude is huge. <laughs> all huge. right, well, we are speaking of huge. Seventy-three was a huge year, Terry. Oh yes, this I know. Seventy-three was a good year. Rounded out pretty nicely, right? <laughs> That's right. Lots of good things came out of nineteen seventy-three. Speaking of which, Terry, <laughs> let's find, would you like to know which celebrities were born in 1973? Of course I would. Well, let's look at that. I thought I had this pulled up, and I didn't. Some famous celebrities born in 1973 would be Neil Patrick Harris. You're as old as MPH. Yeah, Doogie <laughs> Hauser. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale was born in 73. All right, I can see that. Catherine Hahn, born in 73. I can see that, yeah. Lena Hetty, 
Yeah, Cersei. Cersei from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Nev Campbell, Adam Scott, Adrian Brody, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane, really? Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, too, because I wouldn't expect him to be any less than 10 years older than me. Yeah, and Juliette Lewis. Jeez. I remember. James Marsden. Kristen Wiig. Yeah. We've also got Tempest Bledsoe. Do you remember her? Cosby Show, sure. That's right. That's right. Shannon Elizabeth. Yep. Yeah. From, uh, wow, that's a movie we should think about at some point. American Pie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that'd be a hard one to break down and that'd be on a this hard PG one. Yeah, podcast. As soon as, I, as soon as I said it, I'm like, yeah, we can't do that one. Yeah. There, I mean, there's things about that movie. It's like we could probably get through it and censor it pretty well. But it would be. That's the whole point of the movie is is kind of hard to discuss. Yeah, it it's pretty raunchy. Yeah. Paul Walker was born in 1973. Mm. Sadly, he did yep. not. He you know sadly passed away. Well, we've also got you know uh, Rose McGowan, who famously dated Marilyn Manson and now is an activist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got that's that thing that rounds it out. Pretty much, a lot of these other people I haven't really heard of. Portia de Rossi. Yeah, she was in a few things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's some some people that were born in 1973. Of course, there's one other famous celebrity. Yeah, I hear he's a podcaster, right? Yeah, yeah. The next one half of the of the duo that's going to overtake Joe Rogan <laughs> as the most listened to you know podcast in the world. What's the name of the uh, podcast awards? Because we need to win that. I don't know. The potty. (laughs) (laughs) It should be. If that's not what it is, that's what it should be. Obviously, Rob is talking about the other famous person is Rob Martin. That's me. 1973. Yeah, I barely got in. December 11th, (laughs) 1973. When I was little, my dad used to have me freaked out because he said, Man, it's really a good thing you were born because if you'd have been two more weeks late, the year would have been over. You wouldn't have been born at all. And I was like, I was convinced that I, you know, just made it in under the cut. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, how our parents picked on us, our dads especially. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check out some seventy-three-year-old celebrities then, Terry. Since we're at it, I can't even Samuel guess any. Samuel L. Jackson. Ah, yeah, yeah, seventy-three. The Prince of Darkness himself, Terry. Ozzy Osbourne is 73. Really? That seems... He seems older than 73. <laughs> I thought he was 73 like 20 years ago. <laughs> I thought he was like 150. <laughs> so. uh, Meryl Streep. Jeez. Billy Joel. Yeah. Lionel Richie. Okay, yeah. The Nature Boy. <laughs> Ric Flair. Wow. We never did talk about his last match. We didn't. Wow. I only caught like little highlights from that thing, but dude, why is he out there doing that? <laughs> and you know what is crazier even than the fact that he was out there as I heard today. I saw uh, a headline today. I didn't read the article that says that he said that his quote was, I wish I wouldn't have said that was my last match. Yeah, oh, man. So who knows? That guy probably keep going until he dies in the ring. Yeah. Uh, Robert Plant. Is 73 years old. Hank Williams Jr., Bo Cephas himself, is uh, is 73 years old. Hmm. Terry Bradshaw, George Foreman, Jeremy Irons, 
And George R.R. R. Martin is also 73 years old. Do better keep writing quickly. Yeah. Uh, Ted Nugent. <laughs> the Motor City Madman is 73 years old. If you ever want to get your dad on a podcast, we'll have to do a Ted Nugent album. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. He, he likes a lot, but yeah, he did like Ted Nugent a good amount. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that should cover just about 73. The number 73. So we have 73, and we are taking on Meet the Parents, the Ben Stiller comedy from it was, what year was this movie come out? 2000. 2000, that's right. That's Miss Terry's Choice, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this movie. I'd forgotten a lot of things from this movie Mm -hmm. that I uh, picked up on this time, Uh, and so we're going to spend some time talking about Meet the Parents. It's an excellent choice. We need to lighten things up after the American History X and Goodfellas. And <laughs> <laughs> we need to take a little bit of a lighter turn. That's why I went this way. I was like, dude, we have been just doing some rough movies here. We should maybe lighten it and get a comedy going here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about the body count on this movie. Yeah. So. But it's not saying that this movie was easy to watch either, though. <laughs> no, it's a whole different type of a hard to watch. <laughs> But before we get on to that, we've got some business to take care of. Terry, did you have any rants and raves this week? Yeah, my uh, big rant this week is why do our kids have to get older, man? Ruby uh, started her first day of school today, and I'm like, dang, she's in fourth grade. I have a fourth grade uh, daughter. What the heck? What happened? Where did the time go? Blink and she's 10, almost. Oh, I know it. I know it. I graduated one last year. Unbelievable. That was hard. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. This kid, and now he's, you know, his dad's got a job working out of town now. So he, uh, he's been staying at his house, his dad's house most of the time, house sitting because his dad's working out of Iowa. Yeah. So he's basically almost like, it's almost like he's moved out. It's just crazy. He just all of a sudden one day he's a little kid running around. Next thing you know, he's, he's on his own. Grown man. Yeah. Jordan is finishing up basic training in AIT. He'll be home in a few weeks. So good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Just seemed like yesterday we were talking, wishing them good luck, sending them off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy watching them grow up. It's uh, yeah. it's hard to it go so fast. Like I can't believe already, you know, how big they're getting. Dante's eleven years old. Zeke's gonna be ten. Yeah. In a in a matter of you know weeks now. Mm-hmm. Like six, you know, <laughs> six weeks. Zeke will be. Double digits. Oh, man. Big kid. Phoenix just turned two a couple weeks ago. Wow. Yeah, I was, every year, man, every year kiddo starts a new grade, it's it's kind of like, wow, man, she's getting older. It's going by too quickly. I know Sarah takes it hard every year. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it, she's a big kid now. and No turning back. <laughs> yep. We're already at the phase now where, where Dante's starting to, get a lot more independent and not want to spend as much time he's like he wants to talk to his friends he wants to play online uh Fortnite and stuff like that and right now zeke's in that sweet spot still where he wants to hang out with me all the time dante still does too but he's got other interests now yeah so i'm still number one but there's a one b i'm one a there's a one b oh boy so <laughs> so i can see it coming i can see it coming and just oh it just rips your heart out yeah for sure so yeah that's a good rant terry uh, it's definitely more more heartfelt and uh, impactful than my rant. My rant is that for some reason, 
our cell service up here in Kiwani has been going majorly downhill. What happened? I don't know if something's changed, but like I used to be able to listen to it in my office at work. I can't get any signal on my phone at all inside the post office in Deposit now within the last uh, week or two. And uh, I mean, not even a single bar. Like, they down, downgrade your model of phone so it doesn't get signal. <laughs> so you have to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, it's, Conspiracy uh, theory. It's been driving me nuts. I've got a SIM card because when they sprint, switched over from Sprint to T-Mobile that I've got to put in. So I'm going to put that in and uh, see if that helps. Verizon, man. Or Xfin- uh, well, Xfinity, I should say. Xfinity Mobile. They use Verizon Towers and it's cheaper. Okay. I might have to look into that because yeah. uh, this is not going to fly. <laughs> yeah, look into it and yeah, let me know. Yeah, that's what we did because on a... Suggestion from people at work, and we got a lot of people at work now use Xfinity Mobile just because it's just cheaper. Can you keep the phone you've already got and just put it on that plan? Yeah. Absolutely. Make a note of that. Xfinity Mobile. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, that's my only rant for the week, Terry. Did you have any raves? Yeah. Uh, this weekend was some of the best baseball been watching in a while from the Cardinals, man. They hosted the New York Yankees in St. Louis there, and they swept them. They swept the Yankees, who have the second-best record currently in the majors. And it's the first time the Cardinals have swept the Yankees in a series since 1942. Whoa, wow. They're also only the fourth National League team to sweep the Yankees since interleague play started in 1997. No kidding. Only the fourth. Who are the other three? I didn't look into it. That's crazy. But, yeah, I thought that was a pretty wild stat there. And I tell you what, Ruby and I were swimming after I got off work Sunday. And it was just me and her in there. And I we got this little floaty speaker in the pool. And it okay. blue, you can Bluetooth whatever's on your phone to the, the speaker. So I put on the Cardinal game. And it was great. Okay. I'm sitting there swimming in the pool, listening to the ball game. I was in heaven. It was just awesome. And the announcer's just doing a great job keeping up, and the score is flip-flopping back and forth. Like, after the second inning, it was already 6-4. to four. You know, wow. I mean, they're scoring runs early. And it was a back-and-forth game. It ended up being Cardinals winning 12-9. to nine. And it was it was a, just a great game. It was the longest nine-inning game out of any game from any team this season. Really? It's like okay. over, over four and a half hours long just to get nine innings done. I have found, as I've gotten older, that I prefer listening to the radio announcers than the TV announcers. Oh, it's wonderful. They they just add so much more excitement because they have to be so much more descriptive of what's right. going on. Whereas the guys on TV, they, you can see right along with them, and they don't have to talk as much. But, yeah, the radio announcers can be pretty fun to listen to, and I've been doing that for 15 plus years and I, if i'm in the car and the game's on yeah i'm gonna listen to it so loved it i've caught a lot of those i've caught a lot of those afternoon cubs games while i was at work yeah the first you know four innings of the game before i got done and uh yeah it's pretty nice of course then they come out yesterday and get smoked by the rockies like 16 to 5 or something stupid <laughs> how are their playoff shots uh playoff prospects looking at this point they're in first in the central right now so i mean if the season ended today, they'd be the NL Central champs. Okay. They're right. at one game on the Brewers. Quite a few games back on the NL East and West leaders, Dodgers and the Mets, but 
hey, as long as they're keeping it in the central, it'll be all right. But they're, the wild card race is nuts right now. You got San Diego, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, St. Louis. All four of those teams are like a game or two apart from each other. Okay. And one of them's got to go. So we'll see if anybody takes off or if anybody falls falls off. And the Padres should be unstoppable. But they've lost like five games since that trade deadline. They've only won like one. <laughs> Something stupid. I don't know. It's like you guys got Juan Soto and Eric Cosmer or whatever. And not Eric Cosmer. I can't remember. He got traded away. Uh, but anyways, they got this what's supposed to be a stacked team, Manny Machado and Juan Soto. And they got Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back. That's just three of the hardest, best hitters in baseball right now. Okay. So, Padres should be great, but they might fall under the Angels' curse where they're putting all their eggs in one little tiny basket when ignoring the bigger basket of all the other players. I was just going to mention that. With all the money that they're paying him, it's the same thing that happened with Albert Pujols. Yeah. They loaded up on Pujols, gave Trout a billion dollars, uh, Otani's just cost a lot, so they won't trade him away. It'd have to be an unbelievable package to trade him away. So he's still in Los Angeles. He ain't going anywhere. Uh, but man, yeah, Angels suck, and hey, Padres could be going down that road too if they're not careful. Yep. The uh, I do have a rate too. Um, have. I know I've, I've mentioned before how much I enjoy uh, Bill Simmons, who's a sports personality, and he also hosts a, pod, a couple of podcasts. And he's broke down now recently uh, from his, the Bill Simmons report and all the podcasts he's done, a lot of the interviews that mm-hmm. he's had with celebrities and and interesting people. And I've been really enjoying checking some of those out. You know, over the last from over the last five years or so, where he's really had a lot of big time interviews, and uh, it's kind of fun. He does. He's a really good interviewer. He's just—he's casual. Uh, He's—you tell he's a fan, but he's not, you know, someone who's intimidated by the people he's talking to. He's still, but he treats them with respect, and they seem to have a good rapport with everybody that he's on the show with. And I've been enjoying those. Nice. We should look into having an interview segment on our show sometime. Bring someone in and interview them, and just Uh, ask them questions. And that would be kind of fun. I could see that being enjoyable. Hmm? I have to bring back Alex and interview him. Ask him why he was so mean to me online <laughs> after the Striper podcast. Uh, gotta love it. <laughs> uh, another one is that one of the perks of being a rural mail carrier is that around this time of the year, I get goodies. Yeah. I got a big Walmart bag full of fresh green beans. Freshly picked green beans, uh, sweet corn, also nice. this week. So heck yeah, uh, yeah. So it's been nice. I mean, we we had some of that sweet corn tonight. Just love corn. Pop it, pop it, husk it all into the microwave for like four minutes, and <laughs> boom, super good. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. You don't even need butter or anything. Sometimes you just eat that stuff yeah. like crazy, right off the cob. Oh man, it's good stuff. Well, I got another rave this week. Okay. And it came from tonight, actually, and it was the Italian Stallion. And I'm not talking about Rocky. But a meal that Sarah makes. It's uh, okay. it's out of recipe that we got a long time ago, and she's kind of doctored it up to make her make it her own. But it's uh, a pull of sausage on a hoagie roll 
with sauteed peppers, onions, and mushrooms, marinara sauce, mozzarella cheese on top, sprinkled a little oregano, and baked. Dude, I, it's a perfect combination. I, I'm sure people listen be like, I've had that before at a Chicago-style joint. I don't care. It the way she makes it, outstanding, so good. I you would love you would love this thing. And oh, I yeah. told her, I'm like, I'm glad you know how to make this because I would order the heck out of this if it was on a menu somewhere. <laughs> I'd be there three times a week. Every single ingredient you mentioned, I like. Yeah, and it's it's just so good, just so good. And anyways, I had to give her props on the podcast t- talking about how dang good it is. And yeah, I crave those things. It's been about a month or month and a half since we had it, and I texted her yesterday. I said, uh, hey, can we have those things soon? She's like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and then that was yesterday. She went to the store today and picked stuff up and <laughs> made it tonight. That's awesome. I, I expect to have one of those um, next time I am in your, your uh, area. I know. You can't exactly just whip over to your house and be like, dude, try this. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I had another, uh, I think that was my, no, that was my last rave. I think I had my last rave. Okay. Uh, did you have anything else other than, uh, any other raves or rants before we move on to Terry's, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, Todd, not Terry, Todd Beamer <laughs> hero of the week. Uh, I have no more rants or raves, but I do have a hero. All right. Well, let's hear about the hero. Did you see what I did there? Yes. (laughs) All right. This week's hero is J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt. Arizona Cardinals, right? Yeah. Formerly Houston Texans star. Yes. Uh, So this one came from a couple weeks back because I've been kind of stockpiling heroes as of late, which is a good thing. Yes. I don't have to seek them out as hard. <laughs> when you see several good stories, you're just like, I'm saving that one. Right. But anyways, it's come from uh, internet here. A woman tweeted that she was selling a pair of J.J. Watt edition shoes and a jersey to raise money for her grandfather's funeral. Uh, then Watt, the Arizona Cardinal star defensive end, stepped in himself. Jennifer Simpson, a Texas teacher, tweeted uh, asking whether anyone would be interested in buying the shoes. I have a pair of at J.J. Watt women's edition of Reebok shoes, size 9, $60. I've worn them twice. They're great shoes. I'm only selling because we are raising money for my grandpa's funeral. I also have a Watt women's XL Texans jersey for $30. Anyone's interested? Well, Watt retweeted Simpson's post the same day telling her to hold on to the shoes and the jersey. He said, don't sell your shoes in Jersey. We'll help with the funeral. I'm sorry for your loss. Watt's tweet had racked up more than 243,700 likes uh, at the time this article was wrote. In a reply, Simpson said she wished she could tell Watt all she had been through. She said, I freaking love you, man. It's been a hard year for me, and this last month uh, has been hard since the death. I wish I could tell you my story. Simpson's grandfather, Jerry Roderick, died unexpectedly on June 2nd, according to her aunt. And uh, Roderick told NBC's Today Show that the family had no clue the tweet would get the attention of Watt himself. We didn't expect anything, she said. We were just expecting maybe another fan would want to buy the jersey or shoes. At first, the family was skeptical, but then uh, Watt sent the funds to Simpson through PayPal. 
Uh, then Jennifer sent me a screenshot where he had sent money through PayPal, Roderick said. She said, I almost died. He said he was sorry for our loss and gave his donation. Roderick said the funeral costs have been paid off. The family is working to pay for the cemetery costs. Um, I would love to talk to JJ myself because what he has done has lifted a little burden knowing we can lay my dad to rest after a month. That's awesome. Wow. That's really nice. So, that it's just cool. I mean, you have the ability to step in and do something, and you do. I mean, that's just really yeah. cool. He, yeah, he certainly didn't have to do anything about that. He could have never even acknowledged that it, his name was out there. Yeah. He had no obligation to help in any way. And uh, but he chose to do it, and so that's a, that's a very impressive. Yeah, pretty cool guy. Yeah, he's always seemed like a pretty 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 good human being. Yeah, that's so I've heard, and you never know until you actually know the person. Right, but right, right. You can, but uh, <laughs> some of the biggest philanthropists end up being scumbags. <laughs> that's true. Look at Bill Gates. <laughs> so, uh. All right, well, let's move on then from that, which is amazing, to what I'm sure is, is going to be also amazing, Terry's Guinness World Record update. All right, this week, our Guinness Record alert comes from TMZ. A competitive either uh, a competitive either eater is breathing a fiery sigh of relief today because officials just revealed the man's insane ghost pepper meal back in November has officially become a new watermark. Gregory really? Gregory Foster gobbled down 17 of the world's spiciest ingredients in what? one minute roughly nine months ago in San Diego. And the Guinness World Records formally crowned him the new king of heat eating on Wednesday. He ate 17 ghost peppers? Yeah. In a minute. Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you one thing. I, I took a nibble off of an actual ghost pepper once. I didn't eat the whole thing. I just took a nibble off the end of it. And, dude... My mouth was on fire instantly. Instantly, it was, there was no like building. It was just instant pain, and I it was milk, milk, <laughs> milk, milk, and it took about five ten minutes for it to cool off a little bit. But my body felt it afterwards. And I just like I said, nibble off the end of it. It was crazy. Uh, this was great news for the guy because his run at the record was excruciating. Oh yeah. <laughs> you can check out the video of his snack. The uh, peppers were packed with so much fire he actually had to wear gloves for the occasion. Yet somehow he nearly ate the full plate, consuming a total of 3.98 ounces in 60 seconds, barely beating the old record of 3.42 ounces. Uh, This attempt was solely a personal endeavor to achieve another Guinness World Record alongside my currently standing ones, he said. He says, I love chill eating and pushing myself. Of course, he's used to feats like these, a feast like these. The two other Guinness records he holds are the most Carolina Reaper chilies eaten in one minute and the fastest time to eat three Carolina Reaper chilies. He's also the founder of Inferno Farms, where they make sauces in the hottest flavors. So, yeah, he's a glutton for this kind of stuff. That's, uh, in a word, stupid. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> Gosh, I can't imagine. I've watched I've watched several of these videos just because my jaws is up. I'm like, how... Are they eating these? Like, I watched one guy eat, like, 50 of those world's hottest potato chips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ate one and was struggling for, it was about 10, 15 minutes. It knocked Sarah completely out. I mean, she was in pain and really hurting. But I can't imagine eating more than uh, five of those without just being in agony. 
Right. Now, uh, I guess I don't understand the whole the chemistry of it. But those peppers, that's dangerous to eat that many, isn't it? Can't it? I mean, I don't know. This maybe sound hyperbolic, but couldn't it eat through the lining of your stomach? I'm sure it probably could. Heat? I don't know, man. I mean, I guess one way you could prepare yourself would be to drink something that could coat your stomach in a way and coat okay. your mouth even. And hopefully by coating your stomach, it eventually makes it into your intestines and coats a little bit more than that. But it's oh, still going to be coming God. out fiery and painful. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, that just ooh, it kills me. But, yeah, some of those hot challenges online are just hilarious to watch. Like, I think they had one in Britain where it was a progressively hotter pepper challenge. And they had a line of people at a table like you would in like a pie eating contest kind of thing. Okay. And they'd lay the the pepper of that round in front of them, they'd eat it. And if they took a drink, they're out. Or if they threw up, they're out. And you just you see them dwindle down as the peppers get hotter and then you got <laughs> you got like two or three people sitting there eating Carolina Reapers and all right, nobody's out. All right, we'll do another one. Another one. All right, now it's the fastest who can eat it the fastest and swallow it down. Oh my gosh! But I don't understand the tolerance. I mean, I don't either. That's that's a whole different kind of human being, I think. Yeah, I've I probably mentioned before. I got a little shaker at home, and the guy gave me they he smoked ghost uh, scorpion and reaper peppers, and then he dried them and ground them into a fine powder. And I got it in this little shaker at home. I've had it for almost geez year and a half or so now. And I use that on pizza. I just cut a dash, dash, and that's it. <laughs> but it adds a lot of heat to the uh, what I'm eating and a lot of flavor, too. And I okay. love this stuff. But it's I still got over half of it left, and I, I use it at least a couple times a week. I know back when I was younger, I used to have, get a thrill out of, you know, trying to eat the hottest hot wings and eating spicy stuff. And I've just lost the, the – I've lost the – I don't know the the will to do it. I've lost the oh, no. ability. The it's not exciting anymore. It's just painful. Yeah, I don't go for the insane hot anymore. I I do try it a little bit, but I don't get super stupid hot wings or anything like that. I remember you and I going to Wild Wings and, and getting the hottest they had on the menu and trying to see how many we can do. Yeah, who won that challenge? You did by <laughs> a mile. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I just sat there, finished them, and just stared at you like, "Are you going to finish your first wing?" <laughs> I'm done with all my. <laughs> You're sweating. That's that's an exaggeration. I had finished my first. You beat me, but I wasn't still my first wing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're dripping sweat on your wings. I know that. Oh yeah, it was it was, it was rough. I was not. <laughs> of course, I'm I'm hurting inside, but I wanted to have my game face. I'm like, why are you, yeah. why are you taking so long? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I went down went down swinging in that one. <laughs> Yeah, that that was some good stuff. But yeah, I don't go that nuts anymore. I like the really spicy stuff, but once it starts getting stupid spicy, I'm not into that anymore. It, but I like a really a, a good heat with a lot of flavor. Yeah. I love a good heat. I I kind of live right now at Wild Wings. I live in that medium zone now. Yeah, I love Asian Zing so much. It's hard to stray away. Yeah. Okay. That medium's perfect for me because it's got enough of a just enough a little bit of a bite to where I know it's there, but I can sit there and I don't know worry about if I accidentally touch my eyes or something or if I'm gonna be, you know, 
laid out the next day on the couch and not you know begging God to release me from this pain. You know, it's funny you mentioned that wild wings. I just realized I haven't had chicken wings in a while. They've been hard to find. We've got some recently again uh, because they hard for a long time. They weren't even on the shelves anymore. You couldn't get them yeah. on the shelves. I take that back. Then Sarah so Sarah made some at, the other day. I take that okay. back. But at, we haven't eaten out and gotten wings in a while. Sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah. It's, it's recently that they've finally come back down to a reasonable price range where we were able to pick up two packages and you know, I, that's what we do. We don't buy the pre-packaged stuff. I prefer 100% just buying the out of the the deli, the the packaged full wings, and you cut them up yourself and mm-hmm. cook them like that. The other ones are, I don't like those at all. But so we did that recently, and because Zeke loves wings, and I love wings. Wings are my second favorite food. So <laughs> behind the steak, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the hot wings, right now it's time for. Rob's hot take. Let's hear it. Since this was Terry's week to choose, it's my week to give a hot take. Terry, this take is blistering hot, and I uh, let me set it up that uh, there's a a Twitter handle called Libs of TikTok. Okay. What this person does is they simply find you know these. Ex- I mean, look, there's we both know there's crazies on both sides of the aisle. You've got your your far lefters and your far righters. This person lives of TikTok. Their their goal is to find and point out the far lefters that are off their rockers, and she just she doesn't make up anything about them. She doesn't you know lie about them. All she does is post the things that they post on TikTok. She posts them onto Twitter for other people to see. Uh, and my God, Terry, it has happened. There's been. People circling around this cesspool drain for some time now, and someone finally came out and said the quiet thing out loud. There is a social time to find out. Some of the research people did is that she works at a prison. She's a psychologist who works at a prison, but she is decrying and standing up for. Or I'm sorry, not, that's that's what I meant. She's she's speaking out against the hatred and vitriol and uh, animosity that maps face. Okay. That's the expected response. MAPS is an acronym. M-A-P. Minor Attracted Person. This woman is standing up for what should be rightfully called pedophiles. And saying that it's time to stop, it's time to destigmatize minor attracted persons, which is what she says is important to call somebody who we would normally refer to as a pedophile. Uh, she is saying that the reason that she prefers the term minor attracted person is that it reminds the person talking about it that you are dealing with a person. Because if you call someone a pedophile, all you're doing is being derogatory and not acknowledging their personhood it's finally happened terry we now have people so far out side of the norm that they're advocating for the normalizing of minor attracted persons in other words pedophiles why why are you gotta do that you were gonna say oh he's not a murderer he's not a murderer he's just uh against li- people living <laughs> yeah no this is a uh, 
she stops short of, of, of saying that the practice of violating children should be accepted and saying that before they actually just because they have these urges doesn't mean that they've acted on them we should still be trying to understand them and uh not alienate them not you know devalue them understanding them i that part i i agree with and that way we can find out how to turn them away how do we can why segregate them from society? Why I want, to know who, I want to know where they are. Why are they like this? Why? What is the triggers for this? Is there a trigger for this? Is it ingrained into their being? I don't know. I would like to understand, but I ain't gonna sit there and give them any special privileges and say, "Hey, you're still a pedophile." Yeah, you still want to violate children. I don't care if it makes you upset that I call you pedophile. That's the least of my concerns. I hope you feel bad about yourself. I hope you feel ashamed. I hope you feel uh, embarrassed by who and what you are. I hope you have a problem reconciling your urges with your life. I hope that it's a struggle for you. I hope that you can't sleep at night because of it. I hope you can't look in the mirror because of it. All those things are justified when you start crossing that line. And yeah. here's the thing. this Some of these people on the far left, and like I said, there are just as much crazy people on the far right as there are on the far left. But right now we're talking about this one. But there are some people so far on the far left that they've made it you know this this slippery slope of anything goes no you know uh concrete morality nothing is set in stone nothing that's built to last as far as like your behavior any behavior is okay now i mean what are we doing terry i don't know man i don't know i don't know it's 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 stupid it's stupid because i i want i like i said i want to understand what why you're like this and it's the people that are acting on the urges that bother me more than anything. But it's there's some people out there that have these thoughts. It, it's not against the law to have a thought about that. But you know, I mean, somebody that feels that way and realizes it's wrong and does everything in their power to better themselves so they don't feel that way. And, yeah, but, but I don't think that's who's being talked about here because that person's not going public with it. That person is sitting in a room saying, like, God, what is wrong with me? Trying to get help. They're not out there saying, oh, I'm a minor attractive person. They're not trying to coalesce with others of their same uh, yeah. proclivities. They're trying to fix it. That's not what I think it's about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, that was that was that that's really it. I agree with that. That's what I don't think it's about. But, I mean, th- that's kind of the same people she's bringing into this conversation and yeah if she's out there trying to humanize these people when they don't need to be humanized <laughs> they're no, lower than they need to be they need to be isolated taken away i i we've talked before and maybe we'll get to this eventually when i try to hammer out all the ways i would fix prisons i think i mentioned when i talked about uh uh get rid of the death penalty i think there needs to be major prison reform in this country, but in my, you know, shoot from the hip philosophy, the only people who should do lengthy present terms are murderers, rapists, and pedophiles. And the only two people that should guarantee, you know, I, those are the only three. Those are the big three I think that should do life in prison is uh, murderers, rapists, and pedophiles because everything else I think can be rehabilitated. Those, you need to be ever, forever protected from those people. Yeah, exactly. And... Here's the thing, too, Terry, and this is where it gets creepy. 
is that you're going to see if this starts to get normalized. And I think if you spend enough time on the internet like I do and hear the things that some people say, then you start to pick up on some things. And uh, I think that what happens is that this becomes a uh, oh man, they'll they'll they'll, they'll treat it like. Uh, questioning the age of consent and especially what I think it will be and this sucks because this is our gender but I think it will be men that do it it will be men wanting to justify being with younger men and then that will be they'll start to play around with the you know functionality the functionality of consent and age of consent and they'll consider it more of like a, a mentoring type of a performance or situation and a helping somebody you know, transition to that lifestyle type of an experience, and I think that's where they get their foot in the door, or pedophiles can get their foot in the door. And I'm telling you right now, <laughs> it makes me scared for my kids. I really hope that it's it's there's not many people that are agreeing with this person. Not too not enough people where a movement would actually happen. I really hope it's not trending that direction because you can find anybody out there that supports anything. Right. And people that support murderers and I don't know. But you think about it, Terry, in, in 10 years ago, would you have ever heard anybody even attempt to make this kind of name change for these people? Everything's getting a name change these days, sadly. Yeah, and that's what I mean. They're trying to automatically destigmatize this thing just through language. If I could ever get you to read one of the greatest books ever read, written, yeah, well, you would kind of see. <laughs> we'll get there. Where this, where, where this is going? If it, when you change the language, you change the way people think. If it makes you feel any better, I haven't read a book in that same amount of time that you asked me to read this book. <laughs> so it's so it's not like it's not like you're reading other stuff and not fitting it into the schedule. No, you're not going back through and rereading Dan Brown. No, uh, which I know you enjoyed reading those. I so. did, and yeah, I will read 1984 before I read any of the Dan Brown novels again. I promise okay. you that. <laughs> I will not. What I need to have happen what? We need to have Dan Brown release another novel that you want to read, and that way you have to read 1984. Before you read that one, <laughs> and, uh, and so we can get on with our first ever re- uh, retro review of a book. And uh, I got a feeling that'll be a limited, <laughs> limited uh, um, occurrence on this on this podcast. Yeah, uh, that would be that'd be fun, <laughs> and nobody else will probably listen. They'll be like, "Oh, okay." No, they have to. Terry, I'm telling you, this book is being played out before our very eyes. It is eerie how uh, well he has predicted kind of the situation we're in right now. It is it's um, you'll you'll see it when you read the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the gist of the whole thing just even by I mean, reading yeah, the first the, chapter or two. Right. It's been a part of the public consciousness ever since it was written. It, it's talked about all the time. They made a TV show on one of the concepts from that book, Big Brother, and so it's a. Uh, but it's, man, it's 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 happening. <laughs> and one of the things in that book was they they spent a lot of time talking about how if you control the language, you actually control how people think. So that's why I think it's so dangerous that they're now starting to see, you know, this type of aberrant behavior being rebranded to make it sound less aberrant. Pedophile is an aggressive word. 
Yeah. Minor attracted person is someone who, you know, is a little bit softer. It's, you know, it's, it's a person. It's somebody that you can't control who you're attracted to. And, yeah. uh, it's the kind of thing. I know this is kind of different, but it, it reminds me of what George Carlin said about, uh, how these veterans that come home all torn apart from the war and they had a name for it. It was shell shock, then battle fatigue, then operational exhaustion, and now it's post-traumatic stress disorder. And he yeah. said if we still called it shell shock, those veterans probably would still be get the attention they deserve and be getting taken care of. Yep. And this kind of goes with that. I think if you keep calling them pedophiles, they're going to keep getting the negative attention that they deserve. If you change the wording on it, it's going to start trying to paint it in a little more positive light, which it shouldn't do at all. And the stark truth of it is if they do normalize it, it'll be under the LGBTQI plus banner, and you're going to see all holy hell break loose. I sure as hell hope not. Yeah. All right. That was my hot take. My hot take is I think pedophiles are bad, and you think you still call them bad names. Agreed. All right. I don't think I'd have to do much too too much too much to convince you of that hot take. About ninety nine point nine nine percent of the population agrees with you. Yeah, but it's that point oh one percent that if they get loud enough, it doesn't matter. They'll get shut down. <laughs> I mean, you already got to have you know. Ah, oh, never mind. No, I would say yeah. you 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 got people that. Uh, voted for trump but then you got a lot of people that's talked about how much all the bad things he did which just made the people that voted for trump defend him die on as you say die on that hill <laughs> you know yeah they didn't care what he did he could have killed a hundred oh. people oh trump, he's a uh, second coming he's the greatest and speaking of which speaking of trump did you see what happened yesterday he took the fifth didn't he well not that before that what do you do? The FBI raided his oh, yeah. house oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, man, that's unprecedented. Uh, ex-president raided by the FBI. If that isn't and, alarming to everybody in the country, I don't know what is. Yeah, whether you love him or hate him, that's scary. Because that's a line that's never been crossed before. And it's so blatantly timed to help the Democrats in the midterms and to hurt Republicans and to try to keep Trump from running again in 2024, then I'm just like, what are we? Yeah. You didn't see anybody raiding bushes, either the Bushes compounds no, or, Clinton, or, like that. or Reagan. I'm talking to Republicans here. Uh, okay. But, yeah. yeah, you didn't see any of them getting raided. You know why? Because they weren't nuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> people didn't hate – I mean, people, people didn't like George Bush. And I was like, wow, man, I can't believe how much these people hate George Bush. And I, after Trump was elected, they're like, wow, it was almost like they loved George Bush. <laughs> the difference. Right. And Trump brings it on himself, man. He's such an egotistical douchebag yep. that, uh, that, you know, you can see why people hate him. But it's still, the fact that they're raid and ex-president, that is just nuts. Indeed. So, <laughs> you know what else is nuts, Terry? What? Naming your son Gaylord. Ah, uh, yes. That is a dated name for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, absolutely is. Well, Which that brings us to our retro review for this week. The 2000 comedy 
you would call it, Meet the Parents, which was released on October 6th of 2000, which is kind of an odd date for a movie release most of the time, usually getting horror flicks about that time. Uh, This is kind of a horror show. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is. It's rated PG-13, had a runtime of an hour and 48 minutes. And for being made in 2000, the production budget was surprisingly high. It was $55 million for this comedy. Okay, well, how much of that is De Niro? That's true, but still, $55 million, that's, that's, that's a, quite a bit. For yeah, just a comedy. A so, And especially 22 years ago comedy. $55 million now is about average for your uh, wide-release comedy movies, or yeah, less. Okay. Uh, and But off that $55 million, worldwide gross of $330 million, so they made six times back, oh, so yeah. they did just fine. They did just fine in this movie. That it was well known by a lot of people, and the advertising on it really made it just a must-watch kind of movie. And it it didn't disappoint for certain reasons. We'll get to. Uh, but well, too, it's it's a lot of his success had to do with what we just mentioned with just, uh, <clears throat> De Niro. Yeah. So I mean, with you have somebody like Robert De Niro in your movie, this is at the height of his fame. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's still a major major star at this point. Yeah, yeah. You had Robert De Niro playing one of the parents, Jack Burns, and then Ben Stiller was the other star of this movie as Gaylord Fokker, but he goes by Greg. Uh, Terry, of course he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Terry Polo plays his uh, soon to be fiance Pam Burns. Blythe Danner plays Jack's wife Dina Burns, and Owen Wilson was in this movie as Kevin Raleigh. And a quick brief synopsis, because that's how we do it here on the Retro Review. Brief synopsis. Right. Male nurse Greg Fokker meets his girlfriend's parents before proposing, but her suspicious father is every date's worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a bare-bones description of what happens in this movie, that's for sure. I'm gonna, I mean, if you haven't seen Meet the Parents, where are you at? I mean, tons of people have at least seen the movie once. Yeah. Uh, so you, you know what this is about. So I'm going to dive right in my good and... This movie does exactly what is intended from the director, from the producers. They want you to feel uncomfortable in Greg's shoes. They want you. They drive home that uncomfortable feeling so well that you squirm in your own seat as you're watching this movie. I mean, I I felt like my shoulders and move around in some scenes, and my yeah. neck kind of crank up. Like, oh god, come on, dude. I mean, it's, it's cringy to watch, but you feel for them and you hate it, but you love it at the same time. And it's weird you know how they do that. You know what it reminds me of? What's that? It's like the first three seasons of The Office. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, because Michael's essentially the parent who you can't really talk back to. Eventually they start doing it. It's it's the same style of, uh, it gives you that same kind of secondary uh, embarrassment, secondary cringe. Yeah. And so you're just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So how how would that feel to be that uncomfortable, that awkward? That was one of the... Like almost all the way to the top of my good was all the awkward interactions in this movie where you're just like the they, the director just lets it hang in the air. Mm. This big thing that just <laughs> not there, this terrible moment, and just let it let it fester there, there's, for a few moments. There's two movies that really do this to me. This is one of them, 
And the other one is Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. I don't know if you... See, I haven't watched that yet. You will squirm. Okay. It, 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 they they meant to do it, and they do a great job of it. Anyways. Okay, I'll check that one out. I've heard good things. But, yeah, you're talking about all these different moments between uh, Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. That's another one of my good. Is their chemistry on screen was perfect. They yes. they did a great job of playing off one another in the way they're supposed to. And it was awesome. And and you hate it, but you love it at the same time. Like I said, it oh. They, this was a, if I'm not mistaken, this was De Niro's first real dive into full-on comedy. Yeah, I right? I don't remember anything before this, to be honest. That maybe if I dived hard enough, I could find something. But, yeah, he, right. he was always that more serious, dramatic role yeah. actor, action. And intimidating. I mean, you look at him, we just did Goodfellas. And, you know, you talk about Casino, you talk about Raging Bull, you talk about some of these other movies, Cape Fear, yeah. where De Niro has this menace in him and the way he moves and the way he speaks. And he brings some of that. He's not dialed up to 10 like he is in those movies, but you can sense it that he can go there quick I, in this movie. I think it's because of those movies that the yeah. audience already feels that when they're watching this. They already know that he can be a menace. He can be just crazy. And so you already kind of have that, and then when you see him on screen, you are you just feel that before he even speaks and yeah. because you're expecting it. So, yeah, it was a perfect casting job on this one. And he does such a great job. I was really impressed with De Niro's performance because I think what's happened, for at least for me anyway, with my impression of De Niro is uh, that he's made some terrible choices over the last ten years in the roles that he's taken. Yeah. And he's become almost a caricature of himself. And he's gotten political, and I always get annoyed when celebrities get super political. And so some of the shine has come off of De Niro for me lately but this movie you're like wow this guy this is what a real talented actor looks like when he takes and dives into a role head on unafraid to go every twist and turn that the role needs him to take yeah and he does that flawlessly in this movie and man another thing i like about this is it's way it uses the murphy's law trope that you see in movies <laughs> yeah. where anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And absolutely. that absolutely happens to Greg throughout the movie. Throughout the movie, he's always just putting his foot in his mouth. He's just putting the worst situation possible. And if he turns one way, one thing goes wrong, he turns back and something else goes wrong. He just nonstop. And the timing on all those bad things just added to the uncomfortable feeling again that you feel for him. Because everybody, every guy here in the world knows what it's like to meet your significant other's parents for the first time. And you, well, let's, let's let's do this, Terry. Tell me about the first time you met Sarah's family. Uh, you know what? When I first met him, I was just, uh, quote, a friend. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yes. No, this is my friend Terry. So, and before <laughs> oh, before they before they started telling them we were dating, but uh, yeah. So were you actually dating, and you just told them they were you were friends, or were you really just friends at that point? It was. Uh, we were somewhat dating at that point, but it was very new at the time. So I got you. It was very new, and okay. uh, it wasn't like uh, we've been dating for months and. Here's, I want you to meet my parents, and it wasn't like that. But I tell you what, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was intimidated because 
uh, it's a whole different breed of people. You know, you, you got your family and then you got someone else's family. You, and you learn to adapt to how they are and they learn to adapt to how you are. And But you had gotten to know her a little bit better before that, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. You guys have been out on a few dates. And, mm-hmm. and we'd worked together, so it helped. Okay. I met Crystal's entire family on our first date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went to... Our first date was a Super Bowl party, and it was, I met, it was at her sister's house, mm-hmm. and I met her entire family on our first date. In fact, at the end of the evening, her mother welcomed me to the family. Oh, man. On our first date. Oh, man. Was Crystal like, was like oh, oh, come on, <laughs> come on, why are you embarrassed? To hear Crystal tell it, it's a little bit funnier because she's just like, "Oh my god, I hope he didn't hear that. I hope he didn't hear that." And I'm like, my head, I'm like, oh my, I can't believe it. I can't, believe she, I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> Man, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. Met the entire family on the first date, mm-hmm. and mom welcomed me to the family on the first date, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. that was my first experience with meeting the parents. And now we both love our in laws and love do anything yeah. for them. So. So and I did end up in the family, so she was right. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That 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 awkward sensation of meeting people you don't know. And I remember when I was in high school, I was I was usually I was usually pretty good with uh, meeting my girlfriend's parents when I when I, you know, I was younger and dating. I always found a way to get along with the dad. But I dated this one girl my junior year. Her dad did not like me at all, and really? there was nothing I could do. To break through. He just did not like me. He saw right through you. <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't even there. I'm not going to say that. But I could not win that guy over for nothing. Yeah. So. I hope I'm not like that. <laughs> uh, I hope I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hope I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded at least a little bit because I remember what it was like. That nervous meeting the parents feeling and. Yeah, but see, yeah, my but at the same time, changed. <laughs> the same time in the back of my head, it's like, yeah, you do anything. <laughs> yep, gonna... that nervous energy has another energy riding with it. Yeah. that uh, seems to take the wheel far too often. Yeah, we're gonna go Game of Thrones on you, and you're gonna find your head on a spike. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if they find it at all, exactly. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, the the awkward interactions, like I think we mentioned this already, was uh, it's great. But I want before we move too far past it. I really liked the idea of how this movie opened with basically a home video montage of Greg and uh, Terry. What well, no, Terry is the actress? Pam. What was his Pam? Their relationship uh, in the home movie way. I kind of liked it. That was a cool touch. That made yeah. it feel real. Yeah. And and just like one minute time, it draws you in and and gets you to buy into that relationship, like you've known them for years. Like it's gonna be a romantic comedy. Right. It's not going to be a romantic comedy. Nope. <laughs> in the purest sense of the word. I guess you probably would have to, uh, you'd almost have to label this a romantic comedy, wouldn't you? If you're labeling Oh, man. That's not really No, I can't do it. I can't do it because he's not trying to win her affection, really. He's already got that's it. That's true. Okay. Try and win, his, uh, win the parents' affection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,. Well, Terry, let's get this one out of the way because we know that this is where we're going. You can't talk about this movie without talking about the most famous scene 
from this movie. Let's oh, get yes. it out of the way up top, and then let's move on to other things. All right. Well, I have an entire list of uncomfortable moments throughout this whole thing, and I. Well, let's see here. Where where I got it here? I want to make sure I get it just right. Uh, dang it! Find it, find it. I mean, you guys know what, what I'm going to be. T- we're talking about here. And that's the, uh, the I have nipples, Greg, can you milk me scene. Yes. (laughs) I had it written down here. I'll find it. Did I throw you off out of order on it, Terry? I didn't mean to do that. I just knew that that was the one that I had written down as the, obviously, the most memorable, the most quotable line from this movie is, well, I have nipples, Greg, can you milk me? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Yep, because he's pressing. I mean, he just keeps asking leading questions that just are uncomfortable, and it leads Greg to start just lying. lying. He sets himself up for a failure because yes. he lies, and then he gets caught in this lie that he can't possibly get out of. That, now that's that's my ugly right there. This whole thing could have been avoided if Fokker would have just told the truth from the beginning. It, yes. it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. From after he started, uh... see, I wouldn't have that as an ugly. I have that almost as a good because he, uh, if you do, if he doesn't do that, then it makes you know her her, her father a true villain, yeah, as, as opposed to just a foil, yeah. And I, I say that just because in real life, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he gets some. He says, "I have nipples, great. Can could you milk me?" <laughs> Well, because he goes off on this extended uh, thing where he's talking about milking a cat. Yep. And and uh, and he the lie was so dumb because it was over something he didn't even really need to lie about. Nope. He was got got caught looking at a magazine and it just happened to be on a a breast pump page. So mm-hmm. he was probably a little embarrassed that you know it's like when you're watching a movie that you know, has a an adult oriented scene in it, and that's the moment that like your wife's gonna come in the room and be like, "What are you watching?" Right. I'm like, well, you understand. There was like two hours of intense drama, and now some girl standing there with her chest hanging out, and that's the moment you walk in and you think I'm just watching smut. <laughs> so it was kind of like that. You can see that that's where the uh, the embarrassment for him came about. If you'd have just been like, oh, geez, I don't know what this is, and played it off, he wouldn't have had to sit there and give a whole story with the little the little effects of him with his fingers together, like trying to pretend like he's actually milking a cat. Oh man, that was just—it's just that was another that was a perfect scene of just squirming in your seat watching it. Uh, it starts with this incredibly awkward grace that he leads off with, you know, <laughs> being Jewish. It was just—it just—it was just uncomfortable to watch. Then he's talking about how oh that's a beautiful vase, you know, that's really something else. It really ties the room together. Well, that's an urn of Jack's mother <laughs> that has her ashes in it. I like to think she's watching us over dinner, and he really sells it <laughs> to really make him feel bad, you know? Right. And then uh, Dina talks him into reading a poem, which is somewhat awkward as well, <laughs> a little too much. And terrible. And terrible. Uh, then Greg's like, oh, hey, I I bought us a bottle of uh, champagne to celebrate, you know, me being here, and he pops a cork off, knocks the urn off the mantle, and it busts, and then the cat goes over and pees on it. It's <laughs> if some could ha- go wrong, it went wrong. And it- yeah, now here's I do have one nitpick with that scene. As good as it is, and that's that's a a well laid out scene, and they hit all the right points along the jokes, 
and hold them just long enough. But there's one thing that always sticks out to me about that jo- about that scene that I think is implausible. What's that? The amount of ashes in that urn <laughs> is entirely too much for one human being. She must have been a big woman. <laughs> Even so, I know. I'm just I mean, kidding. it was like a whole. It was a whole litter box, and that's not what ends up in urns. There's not that much left in those remains. No, so no. Uh, this is another thing. All this awkwardness. It feels like it could have been avoided. Uh, and into my bad here is Pam, his fiance. Yeah, she knows how her dad is. And for the most of the movie, she doesn't really do anything about it. <laughs> and just tells right. Greg that it'll be okay. It'll be all right. It'll be okay, honey. Just don't worry about it. It'll be, it'll be okay. He, 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 you just got to get to know him. I mean, it'll be fine. He'll, he's got to get to know you. It, then, But no, she doesn't stand up for him at all. And just lets a lot of this stuff happen. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have this bad, too. I didn't articulate it in that exact same way, but... Uh, since we're already into bad, we'll come back to good. There's lots of other good that we're still going to talk about, but we're kind of off on this this route. Uh, is that I think that both she and the mother, their performances were really, really just dull. Yeah. They're not, neither one of them had a lot to them. I mean, you just mentioned where, she, where Pam does not help him out at all in any of these situations. The one that sticks out in my head, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, is when the bathing suit one. Where he has to walk out there in front of people he's never met wearing yep. a speedo for crying out oh, loud. Oh gosh! And she has she let that happen. <laughs> she let a lot of things happen, right? And so, and the mother is not any better either. She does nothing to help. She sees where all these things are going. She could have helped too. And also, just by those characters, almost aren't even necessary to the movie in a lot of points. Yeah, the mother does say, say some things here and there, but they're all just really gentle. Oh, Jack, be good, nice to him. It, Pam seems to really like him. And that right. that's all you got. Not really hammering home like, you need to chill out, dude. <laughs> right, you're a psycho. <laughs> Anyways, what else do you have in the good there? Um. Well, like I said, I, I know you said you were going to talk about you had written down and, and prepared a duck discuss in depth all the different awkward in uh interactions got a lot of them before we get to that i guess i'll close out the rest of my good then by saying i loved the last five seconds of this movie as much as i've loved the last five seconds of any movie i've ever watched the last five seconds yes why because the movie closes out he finds that camera oh yes in the in the room and uh he's sitting there talking to it and leading up to it it's kind of goofy and everything else but that last five seconds where he does you know, uh, what was the thing he said? Is like, how oh, you like me now? Or he does a karate thing, and then the movie shuts out. And I just remember, <laughs> when a movie leaves you laughing out loud as credits are rolling, they've done a good job. Yeah, yeah I love it, too. Yeah, he's watching it. can handle that. <laughs> Nanny cam. <laughs> yes. Oh, you think uh, Puff the Drag- Magic is the name of the magic dragon? Oh, well, I got some yep. news for you. Your son's been puffing the magic dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was I loved that because I thought that was a great. Uh, that was just Ben Stiller, man. He carries that last moment, and uh, I liked it. So, but let's get into some of this awkwardness, Terry. Let's, I mean, dive deep in this uncomfortable, make your skin crawl, can't sit still in your seat awkwardness that is the hallmark of this movie. They lead this off, uh, and it's they almost a little gradual, then it takes off real quick. 
Uh, it starts even with just Greg getting there with Pam, meeting the parents for the very first time, and like, uh, yeah, and, uh, they lost his uh, his luggage at the airline. And Jack says, well, what about you, honey? Oh, no, 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 I carried on. That's my girl. And, like, really, like, hugs in and, <laughs> like, make, like, that's my girl. You're an idiot for not carrying on over there. Right. Oh, man. So you just, you, you already get a sense of, oh, man, this guy <laughs> is going to be yep. something to deal with. Uh, then you got, while well, Jack's sitting there talking about Jinx the cat. Man, uh, then he's all talking Jinx of, like, this is a great thing. I totally trained him all this. And then Greg says, Plus, you got another guy around that to leave the seat up. And Jack just stares at him like, <laughs> confused, like, he can't lift the seat, Greg. He lacks opposable thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need opposable thumbs to lift the toilet seat. <laughs> it's just funny how just he just looks at him I like know, he's a complete moron. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I hear you. And he just you is like, that? did you really need to say it like that to me? And Pam chimes in. I don't think Greg will be playing with Jinxie too much. He hates cats. And Greg said, <laughs> uh, I, I don't hate cats. I, I just happen to be more of a dog lover. And Jack says, well, that's okay if you hate cats. Greg said, no, no. I, I don't hate cats at all. And Jack said, no, it's okay. Jack said, just be honest about it. There's some things there I hate. <laughs> Greg says, I, I am being honest. Really? Like what? <laughs> the... Uh... I can I can relate to this one because Terry, as you well know, yep, I am in a a vast minority of the United States population in that I don't like pets. Period. I have two of them. I don't like either one of them. I don't like the idea of pets. I wish I didn't have pets. I in my perfect world, I don't have pets, but I do realize that that puts me in a very small uh, population size of people who feel the same way I do. Some tells me you just haven't gotten the right pet yet. <laughs> uh, I do. I do. I, the perfect cat. I saw a picture of the perfect cat the other day, ter- Terry. Yeah. It was a picture of a cat lying dead along the gutter of a road, along the curb of a road. Uh, somebody had planted a somebody had planted a sign next to it that said "Free Cat." That's one of those things you like, feel bad about laughing at. <laughs> I laughed at her. I've la- every. It's one of my Facebook memories <laughs> that pops up every once in a while because I I tagged somebody in that picture. Like ten years ago, <laughs> so every year I get that Facebook memory, and every year it makes me smile. <laughs> so anyway, I can relate to Greg in that moment, trying to be like, "Oh, I don't, I don't hate cats," when you know he really does probably hate cats. And so, <laughs> oh man, our next cringy scene uh, is when Pam tells her parents that uh, Greg's a nurse. Yeah, and Jack looks at him. Not very men, very men in that, uh, very many men in that field, is there? <laughs> no, Jack. No, there is not. Not traditionally. It's just like just it's dig, so smu- yeah. so many digs at him. Just oh gosh, it's death by a thousand tiny cuts. Uh, later, uh, what was it? And Pam suggested Greg to go with Jack to the store, and Greg says, "Yeah, okay, uh, unless you want some privacy." And Jack was like, "Why would I need privacy?" <laughs> Just changes like he was. He was okay with Greg not going, and then but then when Greg said that, he's like, "Oh, why would I need privacy?" <laughs> Just uh, and while they're in the car, uh, Greg's trying to tell him that trying to get to the point where he wants to t- ask Jack 
uh, if he can marry his right. daughter. And right. as he's trying to build this up, Jack just cuts him off and says, how come you don't like cats? <laughs> <laughs> then follows into a long explanation as why he, why he thinks cats are superior. And just ridiculous. Then he's like, I, let's put on the radio, or put on the song here. And it's Puff the Magic Dragon, and Greg break, oh, breaks yes, down yes, to yes. him. He says, yeah, it's crazy to think that this is actually a, a song about, you know. He's like, no, Greg, I don't know. Well, uh, 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 uh smoking, uh, marijuana, mar- marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it when everybody, that's how they say it. That's the whitest way to discuss that topic that's ever been used in the history of humankind. Smoking a marijuana cigarette. Gosh. That is after school special type description right there. That's a hilarious in and of itself. <laughs> yep. And you know, he, he normally would just say smoke weed to anybody else, right. but he's trying to really be careful how he says anything around Jack here. And yep. Jack's like, no, it's the boy's, Puff is the name of the boy's dragon. And he just gets real uncomfortable. He's like, are you a pot, you a pothead fucker? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, no, 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 uh, no, no, <laughs> just constantly just nervous the whole time, and just, it's crazy. Uh, then you fast forward a little bit after the dinner scene, and uh, he's in the bedroom with Pam talking, and he comes out, and Jack says, hey, I know, I, I, I'm sure that you have had premarital relations with my daughter, but while you're <laughs> under my roof, you keep the snake in the cage for 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How awkward would that be? Oh I gosh. just met this dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> While he's in the den where they set him up to sleep instead of an actual bed, which was available right next door <laughs> to Pam's yeah, room. because somebody else is going to be in there the next night. Yeah, it's so. just more convenient this way. Uh, but then he stumbles upon Jack's secret room that he has in the den. And then Jack spots him in the room where he has a polygraph machine. And just those questions in there are just, he just making him super uncomfortable. And you see him shaking and the needle's bouncing great. <laughs> not, oh, man. Just that, that scene kills me. That was, uh, that, to tip my hand, that scene is my ugly. Is because. That scene was just a little bit too far. It was. A little bit too much. You know, everything else is believable. Okay, he's retired, CIA. You know, he has these, these you know, these these uh, behaviors that he has. But for him to have a full-on secret room in the house that has a, you know, a polygraph and all this other stuff, I thought that was a little bit too much. Especially for the first day, too, you know. It's it, first time meeting somebody and you're just like, no, you have to do this. No, I don't think so. But, man, he was already just built this horrible setup with Jack here that he he right. felt like he eventually just had to give in and do it, and he couldn't say no. <laughs> so, and he finds out the next morning that his father was an interrogator in the CIA. <laughs> yeah. So, psychological specialist. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh... Then he says, Greg, no. You're in a circle of trust. Yes. <laughs> I like how he's sitting there when he wakes up, too. Gosh. Oh, man. Just, just cringy is all get out. Greg's... Oh, man. Then he uh, comes in next day, and he meets the family, and 
Pam says, yeah, Greg's in, in medicine too. And the, the doctor that's been invited over says, oh, yeah, really, what field? And she says, nursing. Or no, he says, nursing. And the, the doctor's like, ah, no, really, what field? Nursing. <laughs> <laughs> Just and then, and then Jack's like, yes, this Greg is a male nurse. <laughs> and it's not that hang in the air like that. Always cracks me up. I wonder what Vince thinks when he watches this movie. If he laughs a little bit extra harder. Oh my gosh, probably. <laughs> okay. Our cousin, our cousin Vince is a, a male nurse, and so I've always, whenever I was watching this, I thought of him a couple times. I'm like, what would you? How would you respond to this? We should have had him on <laughs> to catch some of his opinion on this. For sure. Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, uh, they don't wake Greg up. When the, all these people are invited over, he comes in and he's still in pajamas and has got bedhead. And they're like, hey, somebody uh, visited the bedhair fairy last night or something like that. And every, that's on Pam, too. Yeah, everybody starts chuckling, laughing. Yeah, another Pam knock there. But then after they're talking for a while, he's like, oh, I'm going to go take a visit with the shower fairy. And everybody just kind of stares at him. And then as he's walking away, they're like, <laughs> shower fairy? What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> Yeah, absolute idiot. And I don't remember the name of the guy who's playing their friend. What is that? That actor's name? He's been in lots of yeah. Things. I can't was, think uh, of his name, but yeah, he was a Secretary of Defense in uh, and, Independence yep, Day. Yep. He's always plays a weasel. Yeah, and this guy is just a great weasel in this movie. Yep. Uh, I like the scene where they're playing volleyball and and they're getting beat and they have a little huddle <laughs> and he's like. And Jack's like, we're getting killed out here. And, and he's, uh, his friend's like, well, Florence Nightingale over there. <laughs> you sure you can that do that there, Panama Red? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, they're they're out trying on tuxes and stuff for the sister's wedding coming up. And Jack, after finding a pipe in a tux and having his son act clueless to what it is, then he corners Greg in a dressing room and asks him, if there's anything he wants to tell him, and while just kind of like staring him down, <laughs> it's like he's like, "No, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have nothing to tell you." And right. and of course, just just fuming about him because he's positive that this pipe is uh, Greg's. Um. Then he then there's Jack telling Pam's ex fiance Kevin that Greg's a nurse. Then after Kevin says he was inspired to do carpentry, Jack tells Kevin that Greg's Jewish. Just trying to little digs to try to make them feel lower than everybody else in the room. Right. Well, too, I think you left out the funniest part of that is that that uh, what's uh, Owen Daniels? Owen Wilson. Uh, Owen, Owen Wilson. What's his character's name Kevin. again? Kevin. Right. Kevin says that he was inspired to take up carpentry, carpentry because of none other than Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Oh yeah. There are lots of ways. There are lots of ways that you should emulate Jesus, but I don't think a lot of people are going into carpentry because of Jesus. You're going to do a lot of things in life because of Jesus, but not carpentry. <laughs> oh man. And th- then there's a constant Jack pointing both his fingers at his eyes and pointing them at Greg, like I got my eyes on you <laughs> throughout right. the movie. It's right. like God, come on. And you had mentioned the Speedo already. I mean, he just sits there. Uh, hey, he, I love how he's standing in the bathroom, walking back and forth, staring at it, hanging on that little hanger there. <laughs> like, yeah. I, am I really going to put this on? And, yeah, that that scene right there. Ugh. And nobody else is wearing one. 
Nobody else is right. wearing one. Just him. Right. That's what I'm saying. That was obviously Pam. That's all. That's 100% her. Yep. She should have been. She should have stood up for him then. Realized there's no way that she didn't catch how awkward that was going to be. You know, and, and she should not have let that happen at all. Yep. And the mother shouldn't have let that happen at all. No. He's obviously in the same body size generally as Jack. Same height, you know, roughly. You know, they're not drastically different. It's not like me trying to go on and put on, like, borrow a pair of Steve, uh, swim trunks from our cousin Steve Taggin. <laughs> so, you know, who's much different body type than I am, and I probably would not be able to fit in a pair of his swim trunks. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. He could have just borrowed a pair of Jack's swim trunks. Oh, for sure. And been not been out there in a Speedo. Yep. And then continue on in that scene after they're... Although, before, oh. before we leave off, uh, I do have to say... Uh, kudos to Ben Stiller, who kind of ripped in this movie yeah. for a comedy. Yeah, I would say he was—he's in better shape than we are. <laughs> right? Somebody told—I I could see how that thought went down. He said, "I'm going to be in a speedo on a movie screen." Well, all right, it's time to cut out the carbs, <laughs> get in those steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, much respect to him for for rocking himself into good shape to get to that through that speedo scene. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and after he gets in the pool, you talked about the them razzing him in the pool. And then finally yes. he's just like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And he gets up there and spikes the ball as hard as he possibly can into the bride-to-be's eye. And just blood and just swollen eye. And everybody's asking, what's wrong with you, fucker? Why, do you, why are you doing this? What's wrong <laughs> with you? And he's like, I, he just looks over there like helpless. Like, I just did what you told me you wanted me to do. Well, because they specifically asked him, if we set you up, do you think you can spike it? Yes. And he's like, yes. And so that's what he did. He spiked it. And this bad luck just happened to hit the bride right smack dab in the face. Yep. And then uh, he flushes the toilet during the middle of the night, which apparently he ended up lying about that, too. Right. And Jinx did it. Yep. (laughs) And then Jack asked, this toilet's been running. Did Did you run it? Did you flush it? And, well, Jinx was sitting on there last night. Jinx knows not to use this one. And plus, he how is he going to flush it? He's putting his paw up there, first of all. but And that's not right. <laughs> the point. Yeah. Anyways, well, uh, when you live and you have a septic tank, that can wreak havoc on it. And then, like, two seconds later, you look at the yard, and it's just filled with crap. <laughs> and, right. And oh, all the waste from the septic tank out in the yard. And then you got Kevin, Owen Wilson's character, backing up a truck and just gets stuck in it and then just (laughs) puts the uh, gas on and sprays everybody with crap. Now, I am unfamiliar with how septic tanks operate. Is that true, where a running toilet would cause a septic tank to overflow into the yard? That would be a septic tank specialist, and I'm hoping that they fact-checked it a little bit before they put it in this movie, because if that's true, wow. Uh, anyways, uh, Greg accidentally leaves, lets a cat out, even though Jack explicitly said that he is not an outdoor cat. <laughs> he is yeah, not. He is now. Yeah. So he, he tracks him down up onto the roof, and while he's up there, he finds a pack of cigarettes that it, uh, Pam had launched up there at the beginning of the movie. Right, right. And he decides that he's going to have a quick smoke while he's up there, and he sees Jinx, and... He's got a cigarette, and he just throws it away so he can go get to Jinx. 
And the cigarette butt, of course, lands in the gutter with all the leaves, setting them ablaze while he's reaching for Jinx. And he gets a hold of Jinx, finally. And he realizes the gutter's on fire. And then he's uh, hanging on to Jinx for dear life. (laughs) And now he's got to try to put this uh, fire out. And eventually Jinx ends up falling to the ground and lands on his feet. And he breaks the gutter. The leaves fall out of the gutter into the yard and catches everything on fire. And uh, one of the power lines fell down and sparking and just... And ended up causing that altar that was crafted by Kevin to go up into flames. Yeah. Everything in the yard's just ruined. And he runs back in the house, pretending like it wasn't him. <laughs> just another... Yeah. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Yeah, this one, too, was just... That was hard to watch. Yeah. And uh, it, I think it's just one of those... It was almost like a, a Rube Goldberg machine for how to get that uh, that wood thing on fire. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways I think he could have done it a little bit easier mm-hmm. to get that thing to get ignited, but for him to have to actually flick a cigarette, catch leaves in a gutter on fire, which is pretty hard to do, uh, and then also to have the power line come down and strike, and just, it was, but you know, it was like, where do you go from here? It was just so many things wrong, and you felt like you said it was uncomfortable to watch because you already feel so bad for his character in this movie that watching all this other stuff get even way worse. You're just like, oh my gosh, come on. And each time he brings it on himself. Yep, and you're like, let up a little bit. Let up a little bit, because you're just so uncomfortable. And then uh, they, they Jack realizes that Jinx got loose, got out of the house, and they say, Greg says, I'm, I'll find him. I'll find him. You know, I'll find Jinx. And he leaves and goes looking around all the shelters, finally finds a cat that looks exactly like Jinx except for the tail. And so what does he do? He spray paints the tail. Here's another one. This is where you're like, okay, nobody's going to believe that. Nobody would would think to do that. I know. But still, he comes walking in as a hero, and he's got Jack's respect again. He's like, you're back in the circle of trust. And, you know, everything is going good for him. And he's being celebrated as a hero at dinner later that night until... While he's on the phone, try, still trying to call actual animal shelters, finding where Jinx is, uh, Jack decides to call home and check his voicemail. And it's the neighbor who has yep. just told him that, oh, Jinx has wandered over here. Just want to let you know he doesn't have his collar on. And like, yep. oh, okay. <laughs> and then they want to they want to leave, and the race back to the house is hilarious. <laughs> yes. They're just full speed between lights, and they just, when they slam on the brakes at each light. Yep, <laughs> and he's driving that dude's car. The the uh, Benz, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing about Jinx, the whole Jinx, the it's a little bit convenient that he finds a cat because Jinx is a pretty unique looking cat. Yeah. It's pretty convenient he finds one that's exactly like him, except for one little thing, just at like some random shelter that he goes to. How many animal shelters does this town have to begin with? I don't know. Is it a big city that they, they're outside of or something? That I don't know. But that the, for the cat to be in a shelter already would be nuts. Right. He's going and in how the many woods. Are within, how many are within a range of where that cat would have gotten to in a matter of hours? Exactly. So It ain't happening. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, definitely a nitpick on the movie there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another cringy scene is when he's finally admitting everything in front of the family, and they, man, 
you're like, okay, he's finally admitting to all his faults, but at the same time, you feel bad for him because you knew it was set up. He was set up to fail from the beginning. Um, so they finally said, I think you. And again, again, Pam is completely unsupportive. Yep. You can't you you spray painted a cat's tail. This is so gross. Which I thought was What's a weird so gross about that. I, exactly yeah, a weird response. That was a weird de- uh, description of it. Weird would have been the right one, not gross. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so so he goes. They tell him he needs to leave. He finally just says, "All right." And he goes to the airport, and he's already just done with everything. And he gets to that ticket counter, and the flight attendant says, "Oh, we're only seating rows one through eight. <laughs> well, well, I'm in row nine. Step aside, please." And there's nobody in the whole place, and somebody vacuuming back there. And then she just kind of looks around, all stupid, for a minute, and then says, "Okay, we're now boarding all, uh, all the rest of the plane. rest of the plane yes. here." And he walks up, just like with an annoyed look on his face, just hands her the ticket, and she's like, "Oh, <laughs> like like she's <laughs> like yeah, she just first little, met this him." Is another one. Of, this is another of those scenes. that's more farce. You're, you're you're outside of reality again on this scene. And uh, because obviously people are picky about rules, but that was playing it up just a little bit too far. Yeah, and then when he finally snaps on the airplane because he his bag won't fit in the overhead compartment, and right. oh man, you you know that kind of stress where you just yeah, finally it. lose it. You finally just who one person's going to do it, and she was the one that caught it. it was that flight attendant? That you remember that scene in uh father of the bride when steve martin it finally flips out because there's a different amount of hot dogs in a package than there are hot dog buns yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what it reminded me of finally hit the breaking point something finally did it uh last one i had was the interrogation at the airport at first you're just like oh man now he's being arrested he's gonna go away to prison and jack's here oh my gosh this is but then of course that ends up being uh, Jack coming there to get him out, which he doesn't realize at first. <laughs> right. He thinks, oh my gosh, what did I t- how did I get this bad? But, uh, yeah, I like the way it ended. It was fine. Pam finally stuck up for him and really let her dad have it. And her dad realized he was being a little overprotective, over the top with everything. So he goes and apologizes a little bit, and they... He does that human lie detector test. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> hey, I'm not a uh, specialist, but you can feel someone's heart rate change when they're lying, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, what really grabs me about this scene at the airport is that we're a year away from 9-11. Mm-hmm. And airport interactions change forever a year mm-hmm. after this movie comes out. Where it's not a joke anymore. Yep. And uh, we'll skip ahead to fun fact number six here. If you happen to be watching Meet the Parents on an airplane, you will not see the airplane scene. It was cut out of the in-flight version. I didn't know they cut the whole scene. I remember hearing that they cut out the line, bomb. Like they took that little, uh, what he was saying out of there. They, they cut that part. I didn't realize they cut the whole scene. And that's what I read. Whether there's any truth to it, I don't know. I haven't watched it on an airplane. But I did manage to watch almost 11 films on a flight to and from New Zealand, so <laughs> because I couldn't sleep. All right. Oh, that's terrible. But speaking of fun facts, these came from Mental Floss online. Uh, 
Oops, I'm sorry for the noise. Knocking over my microphone. Uh, as you said last week, this movie was, in fact, a remake from an independent film. In 1992, Greg Galena and uh, Mary Ruth Clark wrote and starred in Meet the Parents, a 75-minute flick that Galena also directed on a budget of about $100,000. Unable to find a distributor for their film, the filmmakers eventually sold the rights to Universal Studios. So, All right. Fun fact number two. At one point in the film's development, Jim Carrey was set to star as Greg with Steven Spielberg directing. It was during this back and forth that Carey came up with the idea that the main character's last name should be Fokker. After Carey and Spielberg moved on, the studio offered the project to Austin Powers director Jay Roach, and he kept it. Spielberg is interesting. I don't like the idea of Jim Carrey in the role. Well, yeah, I don't know what he ended up doing instead in 2000, about the time The Grinch yeah. came out, maybe. I just don't know that he's just, sometimes Jim Carrey's too much. Yeah. I think it could have really been too much in this. Yeah, his head was getting a little bit bigger, and you notice that as his movies go on, he just thinks he's better than he is sometimes. Back when he was right. just letting loose and doing dumb stuff, back Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, Mask, In Living Color, that was... That was great, Jim Carrey, because he wasn't a megastar at that point. Right. But, anyways. Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I, was say, I, got, I got my next one here. What? Uh, idea for the lie detector came from Robert De Niro. While re- researching a role, De Niro read up on polygraphers. He then talked about what he had read to the director, Roach, at a pre-shoot dinner. The director loved it and decided that he had to have it in the movie. And this image then became the central image for the ads, the trailers, basically for everything that came out for this movie. So, okay, that's pretty cool. Are lie detectors, polygraphs, are those allowed to be owned by civilians? Is it something you can buy? He, I don't know, but he's former CIA. I know. I was just curious. Yeah. This is just, I was just curious. Uh, that I guess I dipped into my final questions a little bit too quick. I was just curious. That one just popped out naturally. Dude, it's worth a Google. Yeah. So. Uh, the scene in the pharmacy was shot in an actual pharmacy. Not only was it shot in an actual pharmacy, the pharmacy was actually open at the time. Really? During take, yeah. That. During takes, the cashiers would step out of frame until they cut, so they could get back to work. Wow. So yeah, it was back and forth. So the logistics of that had to be crazy. Yeah, they said it was a little much, but it it worked. I liked it. So okay, that's cool. Uh, next fact here, the Motion Picture Association of America refused to allow the use of the last name Fokker unless the filmmakers could find someone with the actual surname, and they did. The name is fairly <laughs> common in the Netherlands with several variations on the name. Currently, Ancestry.com has 383 census records with people that have that last name. Any of them named Gaylord? I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, man. What if they get married? Pamela's middle name. Pamela Martha Fokker. <laughs> uh, last last one I had here was that Ben Stiller hated the clothes he wore in the movie, which the director knew. He wanted the actor to be as uncomfortable as his character. Right. And just helped that much more <laughs> to make... Absolutely. To sell that part. 
Uh, that, uh, yeah, can you imagine trying to wear somebody else's clothes? You feel how out of sorts you are. You don't have your own clothes. You don't have any of your own stuff. You're already in an uncomfortable place. And all that going on, I would have snapped a lot sooner than he did. Yeah. He looked like he was on the brink of snapping throughout the movie. And he finally does. Right. And, uh... <laughs> Here's another thing, another question. Well, I, I, is that your last one of your, uh... That is. Your fun facts? Yes. Okay. Because I have four, uh... Final questions about this movie. Okay. First one. I guess we'll do a... I'm just, this one plays into it because it's towards the end there. Why... Was the MCAT story so important to Jack? Of all the things, he, that's the one thing. The whole his whole character turns towards Greg when he finds out he did in fact get a good score on that MCAT test. Well, it was a couple things. Uh, you gotta remember also that Jack found the luggage that was that got delivered the wrong, the wrong what ended up being yeah. the wrong luggage which ended up having a lot of adult novelty items in it that painted Greg in a very bad light right. and then they were making fun of him at the end of the movie when he was leaving for the airport and they came and delivered his package and he said are you a gay lord Fokker and they're like oh your your name's gay Fokker <laughs> and at the time Jack's like hey uh, no don't you don't need to laugh about that it's like because he's realizing that that luggage he was sniffing through wasn't Greg's in the first place so you got that uh so he was already kind of like okay he didn't lie about that and then she shows him the MCATs he didn't lie about that and it was just a couple things that added I think there was one more thing also that all kind of happened right there yeah where He's like, okay, he didn't lie about this, this, and this, and then now Pam's flipping out on me as well. I think adding it all up, it was kind of what yeah. sent him there. It's like, okay, maybe I do need to chill out a little bit. It just seemed like that was kind of a... Um, I think, here, let me get way... Think, put way too much thought into it. Overthink it a bit. Not a bit, overthink it a lot. And say that it's offensive in a sense that why couldn't he just be a nurse? Why did he have to be a nurse who could have been a doctor? Yeah. It's a little offensive to, to criticize him, I think. If, like I said, if I'm overthinking it, it's a little offensive to say that why couldn't he just been a nurse? Why did he have to take the MCAT? Why would it? Why does that make him better? Because he could have been a doctor and he chose to be a nurse. He'd said already why he chose to be a nurse. Yeah. Those were all valid reasons, and they were all reasons that nobody paid attention to. And they, you know, the conversation drifted away from him as he's given him. You know, he liked the ability to change fields. He liked interacting with the patients and so yeah. why is he justified all of a sudden because he scored high on it what the mcat is a, a test to get into medical school uh yeah it's yeah so okay so yeah why would he have to take that at all to earn his respect i understand yeah. it's you're talking about he's is uh something he thought he was lying about that it turns out he wasn't lying yeah. about you got Jack here. You got to look at the company he keeps, though, too. He's got doctors that are friends yeah. and daughters marrying a doctor. and he So he sets his standards kind of high and unreachable yeah. for most people. So he thinks Greg's lying about that, and he's not smart enough to be a doctor. And so and Jack's not a great 
uh, person for just knocking him down like that. So I guess that's kind of why he held it into a higher regard than either you or I would because, hey, you're a nurse, great. You got a job that's stable and you're a good person. All right, cool. Well, that kind of leads me to my my next uh, final question for this movie. Is Jack suffering from some form of PTSD? That's a good question. He has a a throwaway line in there where he says uh, something like, Nine months in a Vietnamese prison taught me patience. Yeah. Uh, and so I wondered, is, is all this behavior explained away by the fact that Jack has some kind of, some form of post-traumatic stress disorder, which makes him paranoid, mm-hmm. overbearing, overprotective, and vindictive, and mm-hmm. it just happened to fall all of those things at the same time on poor Greg. Yeah, it's got to be some sort of it, for sure, because... I'm sure he wasn't like that as a kid. He probably wasn't straight-laced and uh, crazy about all that stuff when he was younger, but who knows? I I think you're probably right with that. It makes sense. And to answer your lie detector thing, you absolutely can buy lie detectors online. I see see some cheap kid ones that are like 16 bucks. I see some here that are as much as $1,600. Boy, that cheap kid one has probably broken up one of the one relationship, hasn't it? Yeah, probably one or two. Yeah, uh, so let's put you on the lie detector test that we bought Junior for Christmas. Yeah. Where were you last night? Did you think that girl's butt looked better than mine? And all of a sudden he's facing this thing that's just checking uh, heart rate. Yeah, we're in a lot of trouble now. Right. I, I, mean, I see one here that's a police edition. It's $140. And there's military edition that's $180 from the same company. You know, it's, yeah. So, yeah, you can buy lie detectors. All right. Okay, here's an idea. Here's a here's an off. This is an off the cuff question. It's not necessarily the final question. I still have two more final questions. This is just an. Is this the best use of a lie detector in a movie? Oh, I don't know about that. This is cringy and funny, but oh man, what a, I'm trying to think of other movies. Basic I, Instinct. The only one that jumps out to me is Basic Instinct, where she beats the lie detector test, and then come to come to find out that. That he had beat it too, and uh, it's like I said, it's off the top of my head. Is this the best use of a lie detector in a movie? I'm trying to think of other movies I had them. I know because I mean, you, you see them all the time, and I've never actually been hooked up to one. But I look at the machine; I know exactly what it is because I've seen it in movies. But like you said, I can only think of the one other movie that it was in, uh, and that was Basic Instinct. This is the most memorable one for sure. And yeah, I'm trying to. Think of anything else? Okay, yeah. Meet the Parents, Blade Runner, Flash Gordon. Uh, really? Yeah, that's what it says. The that. Sneakers, Ocean's Eleven. All right. They have a thumbtack under <laughs> his thumb for that one. That was fun. Uh, but yeah, I can't remember <laughs> any that are better than this. Yeah, it had to be the best one. Okay. Yeah. I right, so the only one that jumped in my head was Basic Instinct, and that is uh, just because she beat it. And so did he. So did Michael Douglas's character. And mm-hmm. he, he beat it. He beat it too. All right, but well that was that was off the top the top of my head. Uh, I had this originally in my bad, but I tried this. I decided to move it to a final question because I think it's interesting. Is the sequel better than this movie? No. See, I I disagree. I started watching it today, and it, it's funnier a lot of times. But I think. The way they 
built that stress in this movie was better in, than the second one. Seemed almost too forced in the second one. Okay. At least from what I've watched so far. I started rewatching it last couple of days. I only got about halfway through it. Yeah. See, I thought I kind of thought that I, originally the bad I had written down the bad. I thought I saw I thought the sequel was better. I had mm. that in the bad originally, and so I decided to make it a final question because I wanted to get your point of view. Yeah, you would disagree. Not overly disagree. I thought it was still well, yeah, decent. But, yeah, because I like Dustin I had Hoffman. It was a wide margin. I do love Dustin Hoffman. He's really good in that one too. Uh, and then my final final question is: At what point in their marriage does Pam abandon him again? Right. <laughs> uh, this is more of a, a character attack on her. To be, you know, full disclosure, I really do. You think that she? I'm a, a resounding yes for me. Do you think she ever quits on him again? Somewhere along the line, I say yes. You think so? Yeah. Gosh, she doesn't really. She totally hung him out to dry throughout this whole movie. Yeah, she'll. She's a terrible girlfriend. She'll do that again. Do you think he, she's leaving him? Kind of. Kind of thing, quitting on him. Well, I guess I didn't really think of it necessarily in terms of divorce, but just hanging him out to dry like she did in this movie, mm-hmm. where she could have helped him easily and she doesn't. Yeah, it'd be like meeting a uh, their kids' parents or something in the future, right? Yeah, uh, especially too like the when he told them you no know, to keep the snake in the in the cage, and she keeps trying to you know let it loose, even though even <laughs> so, though he says no, I'm respecting your father's wishes, right? So. Uh, yeah, I was not impressed with Pam. Nah. She should take some cues from Pam Beasley. Be more like Pam Beasley. <laughs> Be that kind of Pam. Yeah, we can go on a deep discussion about how good of a person Pam Beasley is if we wanted to. She's got some flaws, too. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, right, that's true. Did you have any final questions, Terry, or anything else you needed to add from this movie? No, I like talking about it. It was fun. Just... It was a fun rewatch. Yeah, it's it's one I didn't expect that we would do. I never thought of it, and then it just I was looking up different comedies, and I was like, yeah, you know what? That seems like one we could probably uh, talk a lot about. <laughs> well, in light of this movie, our Mount Rushmore this week, we decided we were going to do our favorite, our Mount Rushmore of Ben Stiller performances. Mm. So. I like the way you said. Big question, Terry. You said performances, so that's going to open up some stuff here. I have a feeling for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, was this performance uh, on your Rushmore? Yeah, I just went with movies on him. So I looked up his whole filmography, and I was trying to think of ones that were better than this. And if I had my Mount Rushmore, this one just barely makes it in. Okay. Uh, this one is not in there for me. Yeah, like I said, it was it was right on the cusp of not making yeah. it. I did love this performance. It's a good performance. Um, but there's a couple others that are on this list that I, I enjoyed more. Yeah. So I'll go in with one first, and I think we might share. I think we're going to share three of them. That's what I was going to say when I started this. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go with the one that I think we're definitely going to share, and that's Zoolander. No. I did not like Remember, I told you I didn't care for Zoolander. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, Zoolander, I love Zoolander. Zoolander makes me laugh. Yeah, Zoolander, I maybe I need to watch it again. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those that if you watch it multiple times, it gets better. I don't know. I catch some of the subtle humor, the, the throwaway stuff more when I've watched it. I haven't seen it a lot of times. I've probably seen it half a dozen times maybe at most. Yeah. Uh, but 
it always it never it never fails to make me laugh. So, yeah, Zoolander made my Rushmore the male model masterpiece. <laughs> uh, Owen Wilson in that one too. So, yep. <laughs> along with uh, Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell, yeah, yeah. One that makes me laugh every time, guaranteed, is Dodgeball. I didn't put Dodgeball on here. I should have. That's a mistake. Dodgeball. I think of that as I thought of that as more his performance. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, he's the main character. Him and Vince Vaughn. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good. That's a good call, Terry. I did not have yeah, that. Yeah, Dodgeball by far. That movie is a gag, and that would be one I would like to do someday. That that that's a good movie, and I I, I watched that thinking it was just going to be okay. Become like it's dodgeball. Come on, how funny is how good is this movie going to be? And it ended up being hilarious. Just yeah. so many memorable lines in there and quotable lines that I still hear today. Dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> that's right. I think of that all the time. Uh, that's a that's a terrible oversight on my part because it definitely would have bumped my other one. One of mine's one of mine that is on. Should here. I take drink come- drink my own urine? Uh. No, but I, I do anyways because sterile and I like to taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one would have bumped this one up that's next on my mushroom, which is Night at the Museum. Now, see, I enjoy Night at the Museum. I, I think those are fun kids' movies, and I really liked watching those with Ruby, and she really likes them too. But Ben Stiller's acting and his character in that movie... To me, it was just okay. It was everything around him in the museum that was what made it so great for me. I think what I liked about his performance in that is that it is he's the uh, the island of normalcy in this whole crazy thing. I think he I, I love the way it kind of yeah they take advantage of him and he's along for the ride. And I love watching him try to finally take some control over all this stuff. Yeah, and uh, so I liked that. Yeah, definitely a good movie. We got him have them all on DVD and put the digital copy on. Online, so we can watch it on anytime we want without having to pop the DVD in. Love it. Okay. All right, so what's up next for you? Dude, you can't have a Ben Stiller Rushmore without There's Something About Mary. That We do share one then, yes. Gosh, I was going to say, if you don't have that one, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that's, one of the, that's another one that would be great to do a retro review on. There's a couple of spots that we probably would have to skirt past, but I think we'd be still okay with the majority of the movie. Yeah. Um, it's not the premise that's flawed, but there are definitely some scenes that would be, you know, although I don't care who you are, the idea of the Frank and Beans, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> if you would have picked number two last week, that's what it was. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> when I gave you number one through four. <laughs> so that may be something we can still get to, but yeah, something about Mary. Um, the only thing that kills that movie for me is the cameo. I know you at the end. <laughs> <laughs> My orange and blue bleeding Chicago Bears loving heart was distraught to see Brett Favre portrayed as a hero in that movie when everybody knows he's a natural born villain. Oh yes. <laughs> Poor Brett. So <laughs> All right. So that's all of yours, Terry? That I have had, one uh... more. Okay, what's your last one? That was <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Oh, man, this is such a... Look, I got so much heat, and I still do, from my wife and from my parents, because one time we decided to all four go to a movie, and I chose... Well, I'd heard it just come out, like, let's just go see Tropic Thunder. And oh. uh, <laughs> they 
hated it. And uh, and I'm just sitting there cringing the whole time. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, of my course. Mom and dad, and Chris, uh, and this, they were not impressed at all. They still give me crap about picking out that movie when as a as a as an outing for the four of us. So that movie's forever tainted. <laughs> have you gone back and house. watched it? I have not gone back and watched it again. Although somebody did buy it for me as a joke in Blu-ray one year for Christmas. So I've actually got a Blu-ray <laughs> of Tropic Thunder sitting around here somewhere. You need to pop that in some night. It, it's it's a riot. It, it mean, if, if you actually are able to enjoy it <laughs> by yourself, it's great. Right. <laughs> and not watch it with your parents who are definitely not into that type of humor. And Crystal's not either, so... Uh, it was a rough. It was a rough hour. What hour and a half? Hour and forty five minutes. Yeah. So it was. It was a rough time. <laughs> they came out of there. What was that garbage? I can't believe you picked that. <laughs> yeah, that that was a fun movie. I, I that was one of those. I didn't like it that much when it first came out, but other rewatches, it just really it grew on me, and I I, I like it a lot now. We'll have to talk about in terms of performances. That would be one we have to put on the Robert Downey Jr. That would have to be the contention for him for performances of all time. That was yeah, he was great. He was great in that movie. All right, so let's uh, let's break down your Rushmore again, Terry, just to remind everybody what your Mount Rushmore of Ben Stiller performances was. Uh, let's go, man, man. It's hard order to make, but uh, Dodgeball. There's something about Married, Traffic Thunder, Meet the Parents. Okay, that's an outstanding Rushmore. Mine so far. We've had one that we shared, which was There's Something About Mary. And I had chosen Zoolander and Night at the Museum. And my final spot on the Ben Stiller performance Mount Rushmore is Tommy. From Friends. The Screamer. The one with the Screamer. Yeah, I was wondering if that's where you were going when you said performances and you kind of accentuated that the way you said it. I'm like, <laughs> he's going to have his character from Friends on here. I guarantee it. <laughs> yes. I chose it because it was awesome <laughs> he does a great job one episode and, maybe a dozen lines <laughs> that's it right and that's it but i love when he's yelling at the at the old couple at the bar at the, at the chicken, at the chicken the duck. and the duck yeah <laughs> <laughs> quack 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 he just flips out <laughs> and then janitor walks in he's like put the duck down <laughs> God. yeah that was a good episode i love that episode that was a good episode yeah so that was that was my final entry for the Ben Stiller performance, Mount Rushmore. Okay. All right, Terry. Are you ready to hear what we're doing next week? I suppose. Anything else to add on Meet the Parents and Ben Stiller before we uh, trail off here? Nope. All right. I'm debating on how I want to break this down to you. Do I want to give you like a trivia question? Do I want to give you a quote? I'm trying to think of a quote that won't give it away within the first second of me even starting to say it. Uh, <laughs> can't use that one. I bet that's the funny one. Um, <laughs> uh, just, it's a hell of a thing, killing a man. Keep going. You take away everything he has, everything he's ever going to have. Sorry. No, I thought that was a dead giveaway. Well, let's just let's not draw it to suspense. Unforgiven. Oh, dang. All right. Is this, as you're watching it, the last great Western? You don't consider Tombstone a Western? This came after Tombstone, I thought. I thought it was before. 
Maybe it did, but maybe it was. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, then that changes the whole thing because I think Tombstone is a the greatest western of all time. August but, of '92, yeah, I think Tombstone came out in '91. So yeah, you're probably right. Okay. No, all Tombstone right. uh, came out in '93. So Tombstone. Ah, so I was wrong. Scratch that whole line of thought. Is this Clint Eastwood's last great western? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. Uh, I have to save myself somehow. Yeah, Unforgiven is what we're doing next week. We're going into our first foray into westerns, and uh, I think we'll have a lot of fun. So this is a fantastic movie. Okay, let's do it. Fantastic. Have are you familiar with this movie? Have you well have you seen it more than once? I'm gonna tell you, Rob. This one has eluded me for my entire life. No kidding. So this will, I've always wanted to watch it, but every time. I think about it, it's not at a convenient time. I've always wanted to watch it. I've just never gone on my way to make sure I watch it. It's one of those, like, okay, I'm going to check well, this movie out sometime. I'm going to check it out. I just, it's gotten away from me. So It is streaming. It's on HBO Max. Uh, so, oh, well, yeah, this is, this is cool. This would be awesome because uh, it's kind of by, be like when we did Clue. And I had never really watched Clue all the way through before. Or I didn't remember it when I did and so this would be cool you'll have a fresh take on a movie I've seen you know a dozen times yep so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and now I have an excuse to watch it it's a good one you won't be disappointed good. Uh, speaking of movies uh, I texted you that this thing is going to stress me out this top 25 mm-hmm. I could do a top 50 just as easy right now <laughs> and <laughs> because I've got movies on there I'm like I have two separate top 25s I'm like oh which one do you get to bump this one over to here I'm trying to bump over and I'm like no, I can't move that one. Oh, it's driving me nuts. Terry. It's it's gonna be tough, and we got two weeks. Yep, I have a tentative list that I'm still trying to bump around. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to. This is gonna sound crazy. I'm trying to attack my own top twenty-five list with other movies. So I've got a, I've got a tentative. Like I said, like I said, I've got a tentative top twenty-five, and I've got another column of another of the next twenty-five, and there's still another column over here that's got maybe sixteen, seventeen movies in it. I'm trying to get the second column. I'm like, take one and be like, where can I break into this list? Can I break in there? Can I break in there? Break in there? Man. I'm like, come on. Fight harder. Oh, man. I'll throw one away. Fight harder, Rocky Four. You need to put out a better showing. You're not getting in right now. And so, <laughs> Man, there's going to be a lot of tough cuts. Oh, it's brutal. It is brutal. So that, of course, is going to be our 75th episode. We're going to do our top 25 movies. Although I think we should just <laughs> bite the bullet do our top 75 movies. <laughs> and, uh, that way it ties in better, but no, that would take too long to podcast. We'll have to make sure we cut all our other stuff down uh, for that podcast because we're each going to talk about 25 movies. We're going to have to try to get that thing in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to do Joe Rogan like four and a half hour podcast. Yeah, we'll have some that overlap. It will, definitely won't yeah, be all Yeah, I'm sure we will. But Yeah. All right, well, is there anything else you need to add, Terry? Nope, I think I'm good. All right, well, we want to thank all of our listeners for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoy it as much as we do. For Retro Review with Rob and Terry, I am Rob. This is Terry. God bless you and good night.